Good evening, everyone. Um, I do hope, and I will pray in a minute, I do hope that um, what I'm going to say tonight will be helpful because we could read this passage and talk about so many different things in so many different ways. Um, and actually, like Elaine said, um, sometimes one's own journey really does affect um, the way at the moment you read a Bible passage and then as we move on and grow we might read it in a different way um, but overcoming weakness um, as Elaine said we all have weaknesses and there's all, always things that um, we need to do and I think um, this talk that I've prepared this evening really reflects the joyous place I am in at the moment and um, I give thanks to God for that, and I hope it resonates with all of you. So shall we pray? Dear Father, we are going to look at your word again this evening. We thank you for all the words in Scripture that give us life, that proclaim life. And we just pray, Father, that as we think about them and as I speak now, Everything that I speak and everything that we think in our hearts will be from you, guided by you, things to teach, inform, and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I just want to remind us all right at the beginning that um, sin, the, the meaning of sin is falling short of the mark, <clears throat> falling short of what God is asking of us. And I wanted to begin by saying I used to worry so much about the things I was aware of where I fell short of what God asks me and asks all of us to do. But what I found was the more I worried, the harder I found it to resist the temptation, the more I would do or behave in the way I didn't want to. And it was a vicious circle. And I may say this vicious circle did include praying for God's help, um, but it still was a vicious circle. And then I became aware that Paul had had this exact same problem, and he writes of it in Romans 7, where he says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And Paul goes on to say that he's aware that he is a prisoner of the law of sin at work within him. And to me, this is it in a nutshell. On our own, we're slaves to sin, to falling short of what God asks of us. Slaves that have no way out, no hope. There's nothing we can do to overcome the faults or wrong desires in us. There's nothing we can do on our own. There's no hope. And we all know when there's no hope, what's the point? And we've all said ourselves or heard someone say, oh, I've no hope of being this or I've no hope of reaching that goal. I've no hope of passing this exam. And the crushing negativity presents us from even beginning to try. And so I was thinking, could it be like this with weaknesses that we're aware of in us? However hard we try, we're not going to overcome them on our own. This is all part of our human weakness. But the good news is, and it is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the answer. Paul writes in Corinthians how Jesus had spoken to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, said Paul, about my weaknesses, 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. And you know, I'm so pleased because I can genuinely say that I've got a little card that says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness on my dressing table. And I see that every morning and every evening and other times in the day. And those words are so precious to me. <coughs> because this message wasn't just for Paul or for special Christians. The message is for us all. Jesus already knows us through and through. And, you know, we read in Psalm 139, another real favorite scripture of mine. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And this is what I want to say this evening. Jesus knows us through and through, and Jesus is here for us. In Philippians, Paul says, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We don't need to overcome our weakness on our own. Indeed, we can't. We need to look to Jesus for the solution, working in us through his Holy Spirit. And as the theme of our evening services at the moment is the race to glory, which refers in um, chapter 12 of Hebrews, the verses, do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize? Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And because of this and, and the race to glory, I did something which I don't normally do, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a look on the internet at some sports psychology, because I had a feeling of what I was going to find there. And I'd already thought of confidence and commitment, those two things, and then I also found concentration and control and it was called the four C's about being a good athlete and I thought yes I think this is the kind of thing that Paul would be thinking of as well. So when we're talking about overcoming weaknesses this evening um, it could be a, a quite a you know a door talk about what are our weaknesses like you said Elaine it's easy to think of a list. Um, so it could be like that but I thought no I'm going to make this a celebration. And the celebration is, I'm not going to make it a celebration, it is a celebration because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. The victory over sin which leads to death had been won. So in looking at overcoming weakness, I want to look at who's in control in our life, not Satan, not us, but Jesus, I want to look at how and why we can have confidence in Jesus to overcome our sins. How we have this confidence through our commitment and what does this look like? And through concentration and what does this look like? So first of all, who's in control? And we've just read in our passage here in verse 5, um, uh, sorry, verse 7 of chapter 5, um, where it says... Uh, that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission, and that was Jesus. So how much more do we have to submit to the will of God? So who's in control? Jesus is 
if we submit to him. And here I quote, quoted again from Psalm 139 right at the end, probably, I would say, probably my most favourite scripture. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus knows us. If we submit to him and ask him to search our hearts, he has overcome the weakness that is there. What we have to do is bring that weakness to him. Jesus was fully man. He lived a new temptation. Jesus is fully God. He can offer full forgiveness. In, there's a book called Storylines that's written by Mike Pilavachi and, and Andy Croft, who do Soul Survivor. And they follow the different storylines through the Bible of the different themes. And, of course, one of the themes is salvation. And they talk there about the battle against sin. And they say Satan tempts us, accuses us, and undermines our relationship with God, leading to a life of worry, strangled efforts, and exhaustion, with no time, no energy for joy. But Jesus has won the battle for us, each daily battle. There's no need for all this struggle. Jesus has won. We are free. All we have to do is believe. But you see there, that's the, that's the um, sticking point, isn't it? Because we do believe in our heads, but that belief has to go right down into our hearts to believe 100% that Jesus has taken all our sin, our guilt and shame on himself, that it has no hold on us. We are freed through his victory on the cross so that when Satan accuses us, we don't plead our own goodness, we don't make excuses, but we just plead the righteousness of Jesus so that we actually have our identity in Jesus. Jesus has done it all for us if only we will believe. And Jesus himself referred to Satan, saying, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then Jesus went on to say, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And as I've said, a big part of this confidence, this confidence to have life and have it to the full because we trust Jesus, is not just believing in our heads, but believing deeply in our hearts. So firstly, when we look at confidence, let's look at some of the scriptures that tell us of the confidence we can have. In verse 16 of our reading that we've just read, it says, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And in Hebrews 12, the writer talks about the great cloud of witnesses. And because of that confidence we can have in um, that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And that's what I love there. It's the entanglement of sin. It's not just doing the wrong thing. It's the, the pickle we get into because we've done it and the guilt and the shame. But if we only can believe and every time take that weakness back to God, thank him for Jesus, thank him that Jesus has won the victory, then we don't get bogged down with, with shame and guilt. It's just that submission to God's will and finding our identity in the righteousness of Jesus. 
The letter to the Hebrews, as Alan was saying last week, was written to Christians who were Jews who might have been struggling with the teachings of Christianity, perhaps because of a lack of understanding biblical truths. And the purpose of this letter was to present the sufficiency and superiority of Jesus so they could have confidence in Jesus. Although the Jews had sought the Messiah for so long, they were entrenched in their thinking and in the forms of their worship. The message that Christ had fulfilled all the law and the prophets, conquering sin, completely breaking down all barriers between man and God, and freely providing eternal life, was difficult for them to accept. And I would suggest that sometimes, although we know and understand and believe with our heads, sometimes that belief isn't completely in our hearts. And this is where it needs to be for us to have complete confidence in all Jesus has done for us in overcoming sin. So in our reading this evening, the writer is explaining how Jesus did this. For Jews, the high priest was the highest religious authority. And once a year, as we know, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies in the temple to make atonement for the sin of the people. And here it's explained that Jesus, like the high priest, mediates between God and us as humanity's representative. He intercedes for us. As God's representative, he can assure us of God's forgiveness. Jesus has so much more authority than the high priest because he's truly God and truly man. And then I have to say, as I was preparing this talk, I spent an awful lot of time reading about Melchizedek because I've always found Melchizedek um, a really interesting person. Um, and the fact that the quote says, um, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek is referred to when he took the bread and wine to Abraham after a victory that Abraham had won. And he was the king of Salem, which was Jerusalem before the Israelites had gone to um, the promised land. So he was the king of Salem and he was a priest of God most high. And his name means king of righteousness. So Melchizedek was the high priest, the high priest that all the Jews always look back to, although he was long before the order of the priesthood had been established by God in the time of Moses. So the writer saying that Jesus Christ is even greater than Melchizedek, and this would have really spoken to the Hebrew Christians. And we know Jesus as high priest understands, because he had been tempted like us. And the other thing that struck me is that Jesus was the high priest, but he is also the sacrifice. He's, he's both. And John reminds us too. John says, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we can have complete confidence in what Jesus has done for us. And when I was looking at the sport website, it was talking about um, things, uh, sort of things that epitomize if you have low self-confidence. Um, and that it was saying low self-confidence. But I was thinking about low confidence in, in ourselves in relationship with Jesus and just not the, the supreme confidence that it is possible for us to have. And when it said the things that epitomize epitomize low confidence is negative thoughts, thoughts of defeat or failure, 
feelings of tension and dread and not wanting to have a go, not wanting to take part, um, not focusing on what needed to be focusing on. And for us, that's focusing on Jesus. And a lack of effort um, and likely to give up easily. And I thought, that's not the kind of lives we want to live. But the kind of lives we want to live are indicated in the things that come from high confidence, which is thoughts about success, being excited, having anticipation, being calm, being prepared, focusing on what you need to focus on for us, being able to focus on Jesus and giving maximum effort and commitment. And we want to have this kind of confidence to empower our lives. And the thing is that if we have that confidence, that really what I want to say tonight is if we have that confidence in Jesus, then our weaknesses won't be our focus. We can focus then where God wants to lead us and what he's asking us to do, surrendering all our weakness to the salvation we have in Jesus. And in order, as we've said, in order to have that confidence, confidence we have got to believe we've got to believe with all our hearts and I thought of the time when Jesus said to the lady who touched his robe your faith has made you well and when Jesus said to Thomas when Thomas wanted to touch his hand and his side to prove that it was Jesus and Jesus said how blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen so it's really important that we do believe completely not just in our heads but in our hearts and in Peter's letter, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And that inexpressible and glorious joy can be ours if we have the confidence in Jesus. And of course, Jesus himself said in the gospel, If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So to have confidence in all that Jesus did for, off, did for us in offering himself as the one perfect sacrifice, we must believe wholeheartedly. And this is where we come to commitment. Because in order to know what we believe, we need to be committed to our faith and committed to the discipline of our faith. Again, in that quote from Hebrews 12, verse 25, the writer said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And also in the reading that we've just read in verse 14, um, the writer says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So we want to hold firmly to our faith and keep committed to that faith, as the writer of Hebrews says, going into strict training. As Christians, we're running towards our heavenly reward. The essential disciplines of prayer, Bible study, and worship equip us to run with vigor and with stamina. We don't want to merely just observe from the grandstand. We don't just want to turn out and jog a couple of laps each morning. We want to train diligently because that's what our spiritual progress depends on. And this is where confidence and commitment are bound together. If we're confident in the fact that Jesus has overcome for us, we will have the energy and drive to make the commitment of time and effort to our faith. 
It will be our joy to read and study God's word because we will not have the fear of finding ourselves condemned. As we read in Paul's quote about our weaknesses in Jesus' strength, this leads us to give thanks and worship God even more when we actually delight in our weakness because we know we can hand that over to Jesus and his strength is in our weakness. And we'll rejoice in fellowship together because of our common confidence in our Saviour. And we won't be hampered by self-doubt. And we'll be able to main our focus on Jesus. And that's where we come to the concentration bit, the ability to maintain our focus. And again in verse 15 it says, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. We must keep our eyes on Jesus, not on our weakness, but just keep them on Jesus. And now I've lost my page. Sorry. Because as I've said, we don't need to overcome our weakness on our own. We can't. We need to look to Jesus for the solution working in us through his Holy Spirit. Really sorry, I've lost my page. That's really strange. I know I have six pages. Sorry. I'll have to finish without notes if I haven't got it here. Do you know... I've lost the last page. Right. This will be the best bit. So, here goes, everybody. Concentration now begins. This was my final point. That we do need to maintain our focus on Jesus to concentrate absolutely on what he's done for us. And this is really, I think this was God making me lose this last page because I want to speak completely freely. This is what I wanted to talk about because like you said, Elaine, we can have a list of weaknesses. And I did list some. I listed some um, that maybe we're blessed not to have. Um, Things like, drugs and smoking and and things like that and and maybe alcohol but then what I was thinking about as two um, was things that are more subtle weaknesses um, you know a sharp tongue which you can think you know oh well I said that oh well never mind but that that can be a terrible um, difficulty for other people if we're not careful how we speak and what we say and if we're unkind or we're sharp or we're impatient Um, And then the other thing that I'd been looking at was when Jesus was tempted, the temptation that he overcame, one of them was to turn stones into bread. And I was reading about that, and it was saying 
that sometimes our strengths can be our weakness. Because if Jesus had turned the stones into bread, that wasn't wrong in itself. He was hungry and he could have done it. But he was actually, if he'd turned the stones into bread, he wasn't doing what God was asking him to do. And sometimes if we take a shortcut and we go for the easy solution before we go uh, get to the main goal that we're getting to, that's where sin, falling short of what God asks us to do, is. So when we talk about temptation and when we talk about weakness and when we talk about sin, it can be very, very subtle. And this is what I wanted to say. If we live our lives with our eyes focused on Jesus, not only does that mean that our focus is positive rather than the negative, we're not focusing on our weakness, but also it means that when we do come upon something that is a temptation for us, is a weakness, it is highlighted even more because we are living looking at Jesus. We're not looking at ourselves, we're looking at him. And so he is there to show us what we're doing. And I did just finish with a quote, and it was one that I had used already, and I do know it, but I shall just see if I can find it. I don't think I can. So what I wanted to say was if we live like that, then we can have life and we can have it to the full. And that was Jesus' prayer for us. So overcoming weakness, of course we have the battle to fight that, that I was speaking about. But the battle doesn't have to be with Satan. Jesus has won that battle. Our battle really is to stay strong and to keep the commitment, keep the concentration, keep the focus on Jesus and Jesus does the rest through his Holy Spirit and what inspired my talk is as I said at the beginning I used to worry so much about my weaknesses I don't for one minute think I've got fewer weaknesses in fact the closer you grow to God the more weaknesses you become aware of but the guilt and the shame the worry that entanglement that was in Hebrews about the sin that entangles you that's gone because you give your weakness to Jesus and he gives us his strength. Amen.